Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians chapter 5. Right. Galatians 5. We're going to look at verse 22 and verse 23. Really be our text verses for tonight. And we'll move in some other places too. And we'll be in these couple of verses for, for a while. Uh, but this is where we're going to start here tonight. And if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the, the epistle to the Galatians, the churches of Galatia. And we are coming to a close in this study, although we still have a little bit of a little ways to go in it. We're going to be considering tonight the the uh, third ministry that the Apostle Paul gives us in this passage concerning the Holy Spirit, and we'll do a little review and then get to where we're going. The, verse, the Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, as a born-again believer, as a Christian, uh, God... Uh, commands and wants each of His children to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That's not something you're not unfamiliar with. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And the day that you got saved was the day that the Holy Spirit of God moved in. Into your heart and into your life you received and and be uh, uh, the Holy Spirit of God, and your body became the, the temple of the Holy Ghost. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you can just keep your place here. I'll just make reference to it, but 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price... Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so, we understand here that uh, the Spirit of God, the purpose of the Spirit of God is to produce something in us. The day that we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit of God, and, uh, and we become the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not really you getting more of Him. We have all of the Holy Spirit the moment that we're saved. Rather, it's the Holy Spirit getting more of you. And there's a war that goes on inside between the flesh and the Spirit. We've talked about that in our last couple of lessons in Galatians 5. Galatians 5.17 teaches us that. The verse 17 says, "...for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit." and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. In other words, the flesh wants to do wrong. The flesh does not agree with God. The Holy Spirit wants us to do right and points us in that direction. The question is, who's going to win? Who's going to win the war? Well, whichever one we feed the most is the one that's going to be in control. And so Paul has been telling the Galatian believers in our text verses, which we started back in verse 13 of this chapter, he's been telling the Galatian believers that you're called into liberty in Christ, but you're not to use that liberty as a license to sin, but rather 
that liberty gives us an opportunity to serve others through love. And Paul says you can't please God with the flesh. You need the Holy Spirit to enable you and to subdue the flesh. And we started talking about these ministries of the Holy Spirit that we find in these verses. The first one we talked about was that the Spirit enables us to fulfill the law of love. In verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And we talked about how the Spirit enables us to love and to serve. The flesh is something that is always going to devour and destroy. Why? Because what does the flesh produce? Well, in the flesh, uh, there's adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lasciviousness. And, and then he goes on to talk about hatred and variance, which is quarreling, emulations, wrath, that's anger, strife, it's factions and condition, uh, uh, contentions. Sedition is disunion, division. That's what the flesh produces, and it's always going to devour and to destroy. And so... Paul says the Spirit of God enables you to fulfill the law of God, uh, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then verses 16 to 18, Paul tells us that the Spirit enables us to get victory over our flesh. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And he goes on to list what one's life looks like when it's controlled by the flesh. And we looked at these verses in verses 19, 20, and 21. And Paul says that that old man, he needs to be crucified. He is crucified. In verse 24, they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And Paul says he needs to stay dead. He's been crucified and he needs to stay dead by living and walking in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit according to Romans 8 and verse 13, is to mortify the deeds of the old flesh. Romans 8, 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And that brings us to the third ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that is that the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us. And we'll consider this tonight it's sort of an introductory because we're going to eventually take every one of these things and we're going to examine them deeper and see what it ought to look like in the life of a Christian. And so let's ask the Lord to help us here tonight with uh, His Word and let's pay attention asking the Lord to work in our hearts tonight, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you teach us again? And Lord, thank you for your Word and thank you for how practical it is and relevant for everyday living. And Lord, I pray that we would intentionally engage tonight with Your Word. And Lord, be honest with Your Word, be honest with ourselves. Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would have control tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. In verses 22 and 23, we saw that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and we list these nine things. Now, the prior ministry of the Spirit was that the Holy Spirit enables us to overrule or overcome, get victory over our flesh. Now, it's one thing to overcome the flesh and not do evil things, but it's quite something else 
to have good replace that and be produced in us. In other words, what I'm saying is the self-righteous man, he might be able to boast that, you know what, I'm not guilty of murder, I'm not guilty uh, of adultery, but I would just say, look at Matthew chapter 5, by the way, if you think that you're free from those things. And the person might be able to say, I don't do bad things, and you know, I don't, I don't let the, I don't have the flesh, you know, dominating my life in all of these areas. The self-righteous man might be able to boast about some of those things, but but in reality, the question ought to be asked, can anybody see the beautiful graces of the Spirit of God in your life? And what I'm saying is, negative goodness is not enough in a life. There's got to be positive qualities as well. The contrast between works and fruit is important. They're not the same things. A machine in a factory works, and it can turn out a product. But a machine in a factory could never manufacture fruit. Fruit, on the other hand, is something that must grow out of life. And in the case of of the believer, it's the life of the Spirit of God in you that produces that. Verse 25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. When you think of works, what do you think of? You think of effort, you think of labor, you think of strain. But when you think of fruit, you think of something completely different. You might think of beauty, you might think of quietness, you might think of the unfolding of life when you think of fruit. The flesh only produces dead works, but the Spirit of God produces living fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit in our text, has everything to do with the character of the Christian. The life of the Spirit of God. The life of Jesus Christ. The character of the individual becoming like Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, think of it this way, the fruit of the Spirit is simply the outward evidence of the inward control of the Holy Spirit in your life. For example, apple trees produce apples, correct? Likewise, if we're walking in the Spirit, the outward evidence will be the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, your life will look like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. It won't look like wrath and variance, and emulation, and strife. Amen? That's the difference. That's the difference. And so, this is what Christian character actually should look like. This is what God's people actually should look like in their day-to-day life. Physical fruit is an outward evidence of the inward nature of the tree. And likewise... This spiritual fruit is outward evidence of the Holy Spirit of God's control on the inside, the nature of what we are. So these nine characteristics are the fruit of a Spirit-filled life, which is what God wants 
to be produced in every believer's life. So, if you ask the question, what is fruit? We would say it's outward evidence of the inward control of the Holy Spirit. We would say it's something that is to be produced in every believer's life. We are to bear much fruit and glorify God. It's Christ-like character being generated in our life by walking in the Holy Spirit. And so Galatians 5 and verses 16 through 26, they give a comparison of what the flesh will bring and what the Spirit will produce. The flesh, it produces dead works. The Spirit, living fruit. And so, so the conclusion is elementary. If you live in the flesh, you're going to produce the dead works of the flesh. It's what others will see demonstrated in how you live day to day in the attitudes of the heart. If you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit will produce living fruit in your life, which is also evidenced in how we live towards others and the attitudes of the heart. We asked the question last time, what do you look like? So, what is fruit? Well, it's outward evidence of the inward control of the Holy Spirit. Somebody might ask the question, then how do I walk in the Spirit? Because Verse 25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Well, Paul answers that question in a couple of other passages that we're going to look at. How do you live in the Spirit? Well, first of all, you've got to be saved, number one. He dwells within as a born-again believer. But how do I walk in the Spirit? I walk in the Spirit by yielding to his control. And the promise that comes with that is in verse 16. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We sometimes make living in the Spirit more difficult than it is. I have a war going on within between the flesh and the Spirit. Again, the one that I feed the most is the one that's going to be victorious. The one that is victorious will determine whether uh, uh, my life is evidencing works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. So now let's go over to Romans chapter 8. Just keep your... Well, you don't really have to keep your place there. You you can go back and find it. But Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. Paul describes here the, the, the flesh versus the Spirit controversy or, or, or war that's going on and its results. In Romans chapter 8, and look at verse 5 with me. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So again, I'm going to ask the question, how do I walk in the Spirit? Okay, that's the question I'm asking. And that's the question somebody might ask. Paul says, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That means if the Spirit is in you, He compels you to live in holiness and righteousness. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So again, Paul describes the war between the flesh and the Spirit and its results. In verse 5, notice what he says. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And you could insert, they mind the things of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean exactly? That word mind there literally means to exercise the mind. It means to interest oneself or set affections on to savor. So in other words, what he's saying is, they that are in the flesh, they exercise their mind in the flesh. They interest themselves in the, in the flesh. They set their affections on the flesh. They savor those things. And so really, when we're talking about how do I walk in the Spirit, because then he says, they that are spiritual, they mind the things of the Spirit. They set their affections, they exercise their mind on spiritual things. And so the big question is, what things do you mind? As a Christian, you strengthen, feed, and give control to either the flesh or the spirit by what you think on. Look at the comparison of the flesh and the spirit in these verses here. Look at verse 6. He says, for to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So the carnal mind or the fleshly mind, the thing that's exercised toward the flesh, it only produces death. That's why you have have bitter envying and strife in, in the heart as a Christian sometimes. That's why there's so much conflict sometimes between Christians, because Christians are are controlled by their flesh. They're minding the flesh. But when we're spiritually minded, he says it brings life and peace. Hey, what an amazing thing. Don't we all want peace? In verse 7 and verse 8, he says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The fleshly mind is enmity against God. It cannot please God. What is the alternative? Well, to be spiritually minded means I can be pleasing to the Lord. Look at verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life. Because of righteousness, the flesh is going to produce sin. But to be spiritually minded is going to produce righteousness. The Holy Spirit is going to compel you to live in holiness. And so you see the contrast or the comparison between the flesh and the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? A lot of it depends on what you set your mind to, your affections what you savor. Now look at Romans 7. You know Romans chapter 7 is where Paul describes the battle between the flesh and the spirit that he even experienced himself. In verse 15, he says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. 
If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He's describing very clearly the battle between the flesh and the spirit. There's a side of him that wants to do right and do good. That wants to agree with God. But his flesh is always there. And sometimes he loses that battle. He says, the things I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. No Christian is, is exempt from that kind of a war. That's right. Our flesh wants to do wrong. The Spirit wants us to do right. We choose who will win by what we think on. Notice what he says in verse 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. See that there? Where he says, there's warring against the law of my mind. The battleground is in the mind so often. And Paul ends chapter 7 by stating how he gets victory. Look at verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind... I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Listen, the way that we live day to day, how we treat other people, the attitudes that we portray day by day are just evidences of how we've been thinking. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove or live out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? The fruit of the Spirit in your life, so that you can live out the things that are acceptable to God. That becomes pretty powerful in light of these verses. The fruit of the Spirit is the outward action of the inward control of the Spirit of God in our lives. So the question is, and really the conclusion is, what is your life characterized by? Because this is talking about Christian character. What is your life characterized by? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Well, we go back to our text. And we'll take a quick look at it here. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What is your life characterized by? You know what love is? Love is divine concern for others. It's God's love. It's a sacrificial kind of love. It's a giving love where God... Where God uh, was concerned about you and me and in His great love wherewith He loved us when we were dead in sins. It's divine concern about others. What characterizes your life? Is it love? Is it divine concern for one another? Or is it self-centered, self-serving focuses? What characterizes your life? There's joy. The Spirit produces joy in a person's life. What is joy? 
It's cheerfulness and delight. That's what it really means. Is that what characterizes your life? Or, or is it a grouchy, a mean, a sarcastic kind of a spirit and an attitude that characterizes your life? You know, you can just tell when people have the joy of the Lord in them. You can just tell some people are just thankful and happy and joyful in the Lord. And it's fun to be around them because they help and edify. But you can also kind of tell when people are grouchy and mean and sarcastic. And they're not really so fun to be around. You can see it. It's the outward evidence of what's controlling the inside. You understand what I'm saying? There's peace. What is peace? It's quietness and calmness of mind. Does that characterize your life or panic and fear and being controlled by emotions? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What characterizes your life? Now, not every one of these things may be applicable, like in your particular situation. There might be some things that are, you know, thank the Lord, He's producing that in me. And then there's this other thing that's like, oh, my flesh likes to control, and I yield to it. There's long-suffering. It means patiently enduring injury. And it's not physical injury. It's injury from others by words, by actions. People are going to let you down. People are going to hurt you. That's the nature of life. A long-suffering nature or the Spirit of God producing that helps us to patiently endure those injuries that come. Does that what characterizes your life? Or are you the type that just sort of writes a person off because they offended me or they messed up? That's not the long-suffering character that God wants produced in our life. Or how about gentleness? Gentleness is kindness displayed with a sweet disposition Is that what characterizes your life? Or is there harshness in a critical spirit towards others? Gentleness. Kindness displayed with a sweet disposition. Hmm. I thought about that for a little while. (laughs) You know what? It's really easy to be harsh. It's really easy to be critical. It's really easy to when you've been offended especially, to retaliate and come down hard. You understand what I mean? Nobody is immune to that, not even preachers. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. This is a, I'll be very transparent with you. I was listening to a message that was preached not long ago by another preacher. As I'm listening to that message, I'm just like, man, there's an agenda. There's a point that he's trying to make. And it seems very harsh. And it seems very critical. 
towards people. And I thought to myself, why, why would a preacher do that? And I realized, you know what? Preachers can be offended and preachers can be hurt by people too. And they know what the Scriptures teach and they may take the Scriptures and they may take it and they may pound this point home. But you know what? I realized I'm not immune to that. I've actually done that. I am sorry to you for the times that I have done things like that. That's the flesh. And you take the Word of God, but you're using it in the flesh. That's not Spirit-filled. I don't want to do that. I don't intend to do that. But it's so easy for our flesh to control us. Even when we're cloaking it and wrapping it in spiritual wrapping paper. It's not spiritual. It's carnal. We can display a harshness, a criticalness of others. That can be what we're known for. That can be our character. That's what people see on us. Or the fruit of gentleness, which is kindness. Kindness that's displayed with a sweet disposition or patiently enduring even injury. You understand? What do you look like? What characterizes your life? It's what people see. God knows what's in the heart. But when the fruit of the Spirit is being produced, that's what's going to be visible on the outside. The same with the flesh. Then there's goodness. It means to be a well-doer. The opposite is to be an evildoer. There's faith. Is your life characterized by faith? Faith is confidence and trust in God and His Word to lead me, to guide me. I want, I want the Lord to direct my steps. Faith is in, in it's confidence in God's character that He is going to direct. Or is your life characterized by, well, I make my own decisions. I make that based on my own understanding, what I think is good and what I think is right, and it doesn't matter. I was talking to somebody not that long ago about even this subject of your body and your spirit are God's. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. It's a clear statement, right? And the individual was, well, I want my own individuality. Well, wait a second. Uh, you're not your own. There is no individuality when you're not your own. Your body and your spirit are God's. Well, I just don't agree with that. Well, then you're in disagreement with God because it says it right there. Amen. Person, that kind of a person is going to be controlled by their flesh. They're going to walk and decide and do things based on their own understanding and their own desires. 
Then there's meekness. Meekness is humility of heart. Is that what characterizes your life? Humility, being teachable, or are you the kind that you can't receive instruction, you can't receive correction because of pride that fills up the life? There's temperance. Temperance is self-control. Or is your life characterized by imbalances and being prone to extremes and jumping to conclusions? Or is there some temperance and self-control? You understand what I'm saying here? The Spirit of God, what it produces looks so much different than the works of the flesh. It's on the outside, though, and it's simply a reflection of what is controlling the inside. And again, it's a lot easier to be controlled by our flesh than we think, and we might be controlled by our flesh in some areas a lot more than we think we are. But the Spirit of God wants to produce Christ-like character in us. And so, we just walked through those briefly, but we're going to take each of those individually in the coming weeks and explore them deeper to see what they actually should look like in our lives. And it's a great contrast and comparison to what the flesh is going to bring. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Amen? We live in the Spirit. I'm saved. The Spirit of God lives in me. We should also walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you'd help us in the study, Lord, to examine the Word of God, and then examine our life according to the Word of God. Lord, may the heart be, Lord, I want to yield to Your control. Lord, I want to be cooperative with Your work in my life. And Lord, I want Your Spirit to produce that Christ-like, godly character in me. So that I can be glorifying to the Lord, so that I can be an example to believers. And Lord, may my disposition and the things that characterize my life, Lord, may they truly reflect Jesus Christ. May that be the prayer of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.